Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get into it. It is Friday, January 15th, and this hour of Flames Talk is underway. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Friday already, hey? Coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's a Friday, which means it is time for the Eric Francis Hour, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. The next hour with Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Hello, EF. How are we doing? Good man, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I uh, I just uh, just before the last hour, I uh, finished reading your latest at Sportsnet.ca. It has uh, been up for a few hours as we're talking now. Uh, Friday at Sportsnet.ca, uh, Eric Francis is a brand new column out. Funny enough, it's about one of the pending UFAs because that is the overarching topic of the season. So, okay, <laughs> we're into the uh, we're into the new calendar year. We are getting closer to answers on these pending UFAs. Who's staying and who's going, or in this case, uh, more accurately, it would be who's getting re-signed or who's getting traded. It feels pretty black and white in that respect. And, hey, we know it is very likely. I think you and I have been on the same page for a while now. It's very likely multiple of these pending UFAs, being Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, will be moved. Multiple will be moved out. Mr. Francis, you think uh, you think it makes a lot of sense, and you think it is best for the organization if one of those guys is capped and one of those guys is extended. Hit me. Let's get into it. Well, I, I think in, in past shows we've had good discussions about, I think, the merits of, of the possibility of keeping Chris Tanev here to be, you know, a mentor for the young guys as you retool with this organization and get younger. But I, I just don't see how Tanev would sign a contract under two years, which is what the Flames would probably want. This is you know, his last chance for a, a nice big contract, so he's probably looking at three or four years, which I understand if the Flames didn't want to do something like that. So with that in mind, I, I think the guy who you, you should resign uh, is, is Noah Hannafin. I, I really think that when you look at why you would trade a Noah Hannafin, uh, you'd look at it and you'd say, okay, so what would we get back? Uh, ideally a first rounder, you know, probably a pretty good prospect and, and maybe even a serviceable defenseman to, to, to throw in the lineup right away. Whatever prospects you get in return for Noah Hannafin, your ultimate goal, your dream would be to get, get a guy back in three, four, five, six years, develop a guy to be as good as Noah Hannafin. That's that's I'm not saying that's the absolute most you could ever hope for, but that would that would be a pretty good swing if you could if that's what you could get in return. Well, if you keep Noah Hannafin, he's only 26 years of age. He's almost 27, but you you've for the next five five six years, you know, he's going to still be in his prime. Uh, the way he plays, the way he skates, the way he keeps himself in shape, how durable he's been. 
I, I just don't think that, you know, if you're looking at a retool, which means that in a couple of years from now, you're thinking that you could start to contend again. Uh, I, I, you know, there's no Hannafin right there in his prime. You're not waiting two, three, four, five years with someone who you hope and dream will develop into someone as good as Noah Hannafin. So, listen, he wants to be here. He's expressed that interest. They came close to signing a deal before, but before the signing moratorium came into effect a couple weeks in. And I think when someone shows an interest in coming to our little chilly hamlet here in the <laughs> outskirts of the NHL, you know, where, where it is a challenge to keep guys who and, and keep guys who want to stay. I mean, that's <laughs> well-documented. Uh, I think you have to jump on those opportunities. You don't overpay for it necessarily. Sometimes you have to, but hey, he's a UFA, so you probably have to overpay for him anyway. Any UFA, you almost have to overpay for if he's if he's a big name. So I, I just think that there's, I think you're you think you almost outthink yourself if you if you're swapping this guy for for some prospects when meanwhile this guy could be a top player for you for the next you know five six seven years. So. I don't know what the general belief is amongst the populace, how popular an opinion this is. I don't really care, but I I, I just think that this is a, a guy who is your solid number three. And the strength of this organization has been for years and will continue to be de- defense. And if you, if you trade away Tanev, I can understand that. It looks like you might get Oliver Shillington back. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but mm-hmm. – you add Oliver Shillington, you keep Hannafin, you keep your top two guys. It's absolutely seamless. You don't take a drop at all in your blue line moving forward. I think it's, I think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. What sayeth you? So, it's first of all on I can I can tell you that from a text line standpoint, from a phone call standpoint, um, I can tell you that yeah. There's there are plenty of people who have expressed that same thing. Yeah, trade the UFAs, but keep Hannafin. I, I've heard that many times, and I, I I honestly think there is a lot of wisdom to it. I'll, I'll 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 preface first of all that I am still of the opinion that as things stand on January fifth, I still think moving on from your pending UFAs is an opportunity that you can't pass up. But when it comes to Hannafin. It's a little bit more of a win-win for me, um, and that's the way that I would put it. I, I think that there's a real opportunity here for the Flames to get a, a really good return either way. So if they do, for say for whatever reason, they can't come to an agreement, or uh, Noah's ask is too high, or he just says, yeah, because at no point, and we know this for a fact, that at no point has he said, I don't want to be here. It's been more like, Maybe I want to give it a try somewhere else. That's been that's been more of what this has all been all about with Noah. Maybe I maybe playing south of the border again. Maybe playing closer to home again is something I want to do. And for the first time ever, he'll have that opportunity to choose his spot this coming summer. So it's not about no. I hate it here in Calgary. I don't want to stay. As you mentioned, they were damn close to signing something in October before uh, before both sides kind of backed away. So I think that if you sign him. You're not. I, I don't think you're going to regret signing him. I don't think at any point, yeah. if it's that that rumored number of seven and a half uh, on a long term deal, I don't think you're going to regret that. I don't because if it's an eight year deal, he turns twenty seven this month. 
So you're getting him into his mid-30s when he's still going to be an elite skater and he's still going to be a solid number three defenseman. I, I fully believe that. On the other hand, if it doesn't work out that way and you move him, I think that you're going to get a really good return for him because he's a soon-to-be 27-year-old defenseman who can play 24 minutes a night and and help make your blue line better if you're another team. So I do think it's a win-win, and so it comes down to me for that value offset. As of right now, I lean slightly towards moving him, but I would not I would not be super critical of the organization if they decided to sign this player in particular. I've been pretty I think I've been pretty consistent on that. There's a lot of there's a lot of pros to signing him. Uh, and there's a lot of things that you could say that it makes a lot of sense for the org long term, starting with the fact he's the youngest of the UFAs. Yeah, and that's a big part of this, right? The the age twenty six is still uh, I know people think Hannafin's been in a league forever. It's been nine years, but he started when he was 18. I mean, it's an incredible story. He's, and his durability has been fantastic uh, for a guy who plays that many minutes and has plays that important role. Uh, you know, when I look at their situation, and I, I in my column that I wrote today, I lump in four guys, you know, and I, I include Vladar in that group of UFAs. And I know Vladar is not a UFA, but I include him of, of the four guys that, People are most expecting to be traded out right by the trade deadline. By the trade deadline, Dan Vladar is on that list, uh, you know. And I know everyone. There's the odd people throwing out Markstrom's name and all that sort of stuff. And we covered that last week. That I'm not saying that can't be or shouldn't be an option moving forward. Uh, he has a no trade. We know that, but I think that's a discussion in the off season uh, when you really take a big look at where you're at and where you're moving to. But for now, I think especially once you pull the trigger on, I think, Tanev and Lindholm and maybe even Hannafin, uh, there's no point then in in keeping him around. If you're going to go younger right away with those three moves because you'd have to replace them all with younger players, uh, then you might as well insert Wolf into the lineup with regularity as well too. So they have to make room for Wolf. Uh, the Lindholm trade is the biggest no-brainer of the whole bunch uh, because the assets will be the the largest and also, I, I don't think there's any way that you could. I don't think the ask is inch. The the, the the two sides are so far apart. I know it was a fact. Yeah. That it's not that that gap is not being bridged, nor should it be bridged, especially with the season that uh, the All Star season that uh, Elias Lindholm is having right now. So I, I I against Lindholm is a very he's a great player, playing 21 minutes a night, playing first penalty kill, first power play, first line. He's so valuable and important, but he it's done here. It's over. And uh, so he's the first one to go uh, in my mind. You know, Vladar and Tana would be a tie for a second. And then, like I said, I still think they should consider keeping Hannaford. But I, I would like to add the caveat that not at any cost. Right. right? I mean, if, right. if the ask has gone up uh, considerably or, or, or if the player's not as gung-ho anymore – you know, I had a good chat with him and he reiterated that he loves it here and he wants to play here, which is, of course, what you're supposed to say. Uh, and I wouldn't blame anybody for lying, even if they did. <laughs> I thought Johnny said that, didn't he? And same with Matthew. But anyway. Hey, hey, uh, hey. Do we have to relive that? Yeah, we don't have to. Re- and I don't blame them. I, that is what you're supposed to say uh, to keep your options open. But I believe him. And uh, I know talking to people in the organization, they believe him too. Uh, they definitely believe that he's 
very interested in staying. He's comfortable here. I know his dad loves to come visit here and, and, and be part of this organization. So I, I, I see it as being a great fit. And I, I go back to, I always think of guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, like when he went to the Oilers and said, look, I really want to resign here. Even though he, they may not have wanted to pay the amount of money they paid him at the time for his latest deal. They're like, God, we got a player who's like a, you know, one of the better players in the national hockey league. And he really wants to come back mm -hmm. here. That doesn't happen very often at Edmonton. Well, back then it didn't. Nowadays, it's all the rage. But, you know, so I think that when you have an opportunity like this for a guy who wants to stay, you really got to consider it strongly. And I know they are considering it strongly, and I hope they uh, follow through on that. Now, it, it's funny when we talk about this. Like, do we... When when we're talking about Hannafin, and I'm not I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to um, to steer the question one way or the other, but I think it is a a fair question knowing what we've seen over the last couple of years. Is it your belief that Hannafin wants to stay, or is it he he wants to stay? If he gets paid, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, you know, I, I yeah. think that we have, have had the belief that yeah, Lindholm will stay if he gets this huge deal. Um, yeah. Like would, would Hannafin yeah. be willing to stay at maybe market value as opposed to the, the big time overpay that we're taught. That, that's kind of the, one of the questions that's rattling around my mind. I don't know the answer to it, but I, and that's why I ask it. I don't ask it to lead any way, any which way. I just, that's one of the things I wonder when having a conversation like this. <laughs> I think it's a great question, uh, but I think you kind of answered it when you said, does he want market value Well, or, or the overpay? When you're a UFA, market value is overpay. It's the same thing. When, when you're a star, you have to overpay someone to sign them as a UFA. It's just the way it's always been. So market value, if he was an RFA, it sure wouldn't be $7.5 million. But because he walks for nothing, if you don't sign him, you have to pay that premium. So I, I would agree with you that he's not in the same boat as Lindholm, which is I would stay if the price was egregious. Um, I don't think that the pay the, the number we're talking about with Hannafin at seven and a half a year uh, is egregious or a massive overpay, considering the leverage he has and that he's a UFA and his age, and how important he is to the organization, and his desire to stay. I mean, you factor all that in. I don't feel like he's holding them ransom at all, no. Are you comfortable with paying seven and a half for a, a number three guy on your team? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. In my mind, it's always been a top four defenseman in National Hockey League. We got three, four is a minimum $5 million a year. But that's that's outdated thinking that I had two, three years ago. I know the cap hasn't gone up a tremendous amount since I started thinking that way, but it's about to. Yep. And w when you look at it that way, and it, it sounds like it's about to really start to take off uh, after this year as well. So uh, I don't think seven, I think seven and a half is the new five, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So I think that's a going rate. He's a number three. I do think on a lot of teams in the NHL, he might be a number two. Uh, you remember, don't forget, this is one of the better blue lines in the national hockey league. I'll, I'll argue that with anybody. And it's, again, it's still the strength of this organization. And the fact that he's number three, uh, that doesn't bother me. He's a real anchor at number three. It gives you the, you know, a real solid guy to build around on your second pairing. And the fact that now he's playing even more on the power play, and I know the power play hasn't been effective this year, but the fact that he's pretty comfortable out there, and I think he doesn't, I don't think he looks out of place. 
I think that's another example of how his game continues to grow. And I think that uh, you could look to him to play more power play if he needed to. But with Uyghur and Anderson on this roster, why would you? You don't need it. But boy, if any one of those guys gets hurt, put it this way, you know, would anybody bat an eye if he was on the top pairing? Like if either one of those two guys got hurt and he was and he was thrust into the first pairing, I don't think anybody in the league would wonder, geez, can he handle those mm-hmm. minutes or those assignments? He's been doing that for most of his career and already. Well, and I mean, even take a look at this year when they did juggle up the pairings there for a little bit and, and they put Anderson with Gilbert and they put Uyghur with uh, Osterley there for a couple of games. What was the one pairing that, that stayed together? It was that one. It was Hannafin with Tanev. And, you know, you take a look at some of the, uh, you know, not not your analytics, not goals and assists, but like some of the other analytics that are out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, that, that pairing is, uh, is one of the best in the NHL. Like it, it is, it's been Calgary's best pairing analytically expected goals, possession. Um, the, the deployment has been the most difficult. Like it's been a really good pairing. And, and I'm not saying that Hannafin, uh, if you, if you, you got to keep both guys, I'm just saying that Hannafin's been half of Calgary's best pairing this year and most consistent pairing this year and and i don't he's not flashy right i mean that's one thing we know about noah Hanifin. he just gets the job done and he doesn't get hurt and he, he blocks shots you know not as many of course as tanev or or maybe anderson but again that's not he's it just does everything real well and that goal he scored last night that was a huge goal with 1.6 seconds left in the second period of a two-goal game like and and his goals generally are not those seeing eye ones. And I'm not trying to throw shade on Zadorov, but let's be honest, a lot of Zadorov's goals, he, what did he get, 14 last year? 15? Yeah. Like, yeah. it was ridiculous. Though a lot of them were, hey, hey, he got them all. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of them are seeing eye shots that get through from the point. And that's a real art, too. Uyghur's been brilliant at that this year. But if you if you broke down the goals that Hannafin's had over the years, I think you'd see a lot of them are when he's fully engaged in jumping into the rush. Like last night, he scored that goal. What, he was a foot outside of the blue paint of yeah. the, the net? Like, that's not what a typical defenseman scores his goals from. And he does that with a lot more regularity than most defensemen. Uh, what is he on pace? He's got six already now. He's got, I think, 18 points. So, you know, puts him in the range where he, he could get around 14 goals this year and 40 points. Not bad for a third-pairing defenseman. How many third-pairing defensemen? We get caught up in the numbers, but how many third-pairing defensemen in defensemen in a league get 40 points in a season? That's actually, you know, when I dig in deep into my analytical world, uh, you know, I should... <laughs> wait. It's plus-minus analytics. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Don't start on that. When I, if I were to, whatever I have a stat question, I reach out to those guys, my boys at Sports Dad Stats. Yeah, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna find that out. How many third pairing defensemen? It's a hard one to figure out because you got to figure out who's a third pairing guy. But how many third pairing guy gets 40 points a year? <laughs> it's, I bet it's on one hand uh, in the National Hockey League. So, uh, just, just so, it just speaks to the depth of this organization. And if you trade him and Tanev away you're trading away from your biggest strength in the organization. I know they talk about goaltending being the biggest strength in the organization, and it certainly is right up there. But I think the hallmark of this organization for the last handful of years has been its blue line. So 
Okay, let's uh, it, let's let's maybe go uh, a little hypothetical, but I just want to, when talking about the other side of it and the potential for moving him, say that uh, say that you have a team that is so intent on bringing in a guy like Noah, and and you know I I think another part of this would be there's there's a good chance for a contract extension, which would make this a little bit more realistic. But what if what if part of the package that you're getting is a top defense prospect on the other team. You know, like what yeah. I, I, I think of um, the guy that comes to my mind most recently is Brant Clark because he just got recalled by the Kings. But that is a former first-round pick with an extremely high ceiling. And, you know, you say to yourself, okay, what if the Kings are so intent on bringing in somebody else to solidify their top four? You know you've got your top pair of Doughty and Anderson, but we need somebody else to solidify our blue line with Gavrikov and then we think we can win a cup and they're like we think it's Hannafin and we're willing to give up the the bag to bring it in and one of those guys is a top defense uh, prospect on the other team like we're talking about a high-end prospect is that a is that realistic for you and b does that change the the paradigm in your mind you know well hey listen I'll throw I'll counter by saying what if the Avalanche throw Bo and Byram into a deal, you know, for Elias Lindholm? You know, then 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 I think it changes everything too, because then you've got your you got you your know, guy, uh, you got your you got a number three solid guy. Okay, let me ask um, you this: just just off of the huge future ahead of you. So yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a puzzle, right? And you got to piece it all together. And if someone else is like, I don't think the Avalanche can get a deal done with the Flames unless it includes one of their top defensemen. And if it does, then then that makes Hannafin a little more expendable. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a good point you bring up, but it, and it just speaks to how fluid this whole situation is. For sure. Do you do you actually? And I, this is we we did not discuss this, and it just comes to mind no. because do you think Colorado would give up Byron? No. I don't either. No, no, no. But but it's it's been a sexy topic of conversation for a lot of people and that's fine. And uh, hey, it's fun to chat about. Um, hey, crazier things have happened, but I just, I don't, I don't see it happening because players like that are pillars. And guess what? That's what Hannafin is. Same thing, right? So we're equated. I mean, I know they're different style players, but do you not see them as almost the same Guy, right now in each city, they're both a solid, solid number three, three, four guy. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, Byram is is behind Makar and and Taves. There's no question about it. Um yeah. and it just it feels like do I I actually think down the road they may have no choice because they might get into a situation cap wise where they're not able to keep them. Um, mm-hmm. but but for this year when. Joe Sackick and, and company have one goal in mind, and that is to win a Stanley Cup. I can't see them subtracting a guy who's playing 20 minutes a night for him. Yeah, it's hard to believe. But again, like you said, he's what his, he needs a contract after next year, correct? Correct, yep. And, and, and that's going to be one of those whoppers, right? It's going to be, well, it'll be... It'll be money kind of like what Hannafin's talking about, right? Yep. It'll be an eight-year times $7.5 million yep. sort of thing. So if the Avalanche, as they look at their big, all their prospects and their whole big board and whose contracts are up when, maybe they do pre preemptively say, look, there was no way we were ever going to sign them. Kind of like one bad example, but when the Flames traded Furland away 
you know, a lot of people were really upset because Michael Furlan was a, a popular guy here and he was trending in the right direction and rugged and blah, blah, blah. But the Flames said, there's no way we can afford to sign him uh, moving forward. So we might as well get rid of him now. So similar sort of thing. Who knows? So I guess with that in mind, maybe it is a possibility. Uh, but man, I just, defense wins championships. I know it's an old cliche, but I, I do believe the Avalanche agree with that as well. They've got a lot of firepower up front. Um, they they can't subtract significant, you know, uh, you know, strength at the back end. To me, I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, um, I I'm really I'm really interested to see. I love the way that you uh, I love the way you phrased it when you're talking about it. It is it's a puzzle. You're like, okay, so what where what are we what are we centering on and what's important and you know what can we get for this? I I. The 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 headaches that must be um, experienced by Craig Conroy right now as he tries to piece everything together and what is the right move and you know you have I keep saying well it all depends on like what's uh, what's the value of keeping Noah Hannafin compared to what you get in a trade and that's all very fair like what's more valuable the yeah. the value that Noah Hannafin brings by by staying here or the value that you get from the assets you bring back in a trade that's great for me to ask and it's great for me to say well you got to go with a and I think it's a trade but I'm not the one making the decisions and trying to actually flesh that out like that's that's Craig Conroy like he's the one who actually has to make the decision in terms of okay if we sign Hannafin eight times seven and a half does that bring more value to the organization than trading him for um asset one two and three to another team and then you actually have to make you gotta gotta sign the contract or fax in the paperwork it's like that's a lot of pressure yep everything can change with one phone call like you could have all the plans in the world as they start to come together as we get closer to the trade deadline and then somebody calls and says listen We've been thinking about it, and we we are ready to, to part with Bowen Byram. And then you're like, well, oh, okay, well, wait a second. Hold the phone on all the other trades because that changes everything now. Now maybe Hannafin is on the market. And I, I've i told this story before on the air, but I'll tell it again. The conversation I had with Brad Trilliving the night before he traded Matthew Kachuk, I remember saying to him, like it was a totally – it wasn't on the record. I'm not saying it was off the record, but it was a casual conversation. It was just like, Hey, I said, are you going to have to significantly rebuild? Like, and he said, yeah, like everything, everybody's offering me and there are only three teams in the running here, but all they're throwing me are prospects. Yep. So now I might have to decide if I'm going to flip a bunch of prospects for players that can keep us competitive now, or we may have to start looking more at a rebuild he didn't say the word rebuild because you're not allowed to no. uh, when you're sitting in that chair. But he, he said, I may have to kind of start to look at, at going in a different approach. And then uh, like eight hours after I got off the phone with him, he said that was the first time he got a phone call from the Panthers Here saying, talking Florida. about Huberto and Weger. Yep. And, and suddenly it's like they say, one phone call, Huberto and Weger. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. We can definitely talk. Ne- ne- you've got my attention. And then, you know, all your other plans and possibilities go out the window when someone dangles, you know, a couple of carrots like that. So anyway, it's I would never sit here and say it's a huge mistake if they don't sign Hannafin. Never would I say that. I would. All I'm saying is I think that serious consideration needs to be given as it is being given to keep this guy around the, the mentality that a lot of people have, which is that he's gone. He's as good as gone. I'm not sure the organization feels that way. 
nor should they at this point in time. I think they keep their options open as mm-hmm. they are. And, um, and signing him, I don't think would be a mistake. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's a good way of putting it. Of, of the three big name UFAs remaining, I think the one that you've got the biggest win-win opportunity with is, is Hannafin, no question. Uh, and yeah, we got, uh, well, here we are, Jan 5, so we're a little less than two months away from uh, the deadline of having to figure that out if you're the Flames, because I, I will say, and, and, and before, as we wrap up and before we transition, do you, like, are you as confident as I am that, that especially on Hannafin and Lindholm, maybe it's a little bit different with Tanev just because of his age and tenure and the fact that you signed him and, and you know, if, if you... If you do end up not maximizing on Tanev and he walks away, I think at the very least he can be like, yeah, you gave him four damn good years as a free agent signing and you move on. But with Hannafin and Tanev specifically, Hannafin and Lindholm specifically rather, do you are you as confident as I am that if it's March 7th and they don't have contracts and even if the Flames are tooth and nail in a playoff fight, Conroy won't hesitate to uh, to trade him because that that's that's my belief that he he's willing to make that hard decision regardless of where things sit in the standings. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, hey, this guy's Conroy's platform from day one has been we can't have another Johnny Gaudreau situation. And, and, and again, and when he said that too, I think it was interesting because that is in no way like a criticism of tree living and the way that was handled. Because I remember talking to Conroy the day after John, John, Johnny Gaudreau walked and I'm not sure I've ever heard an angrier human being in my life (laughs) on the other end of a phone. Like he really felt a little bit betrayed and hoodwinked. And again, it's been well-documented that the organization really felt like they had a deal and, and that it was about to be signed. And then all of a sudden at the 11th hour, Goudreau did an about face. But either way, him saying from day one, we can't have that situation again. And, and I think everybody in this marketplace agrees with it. I think that the PR nightmare that would follow if yeah. you let a guy walk for nothing yeah. would be uh, significant. And, and I actually think it should be because you've stated that you weren't going to let it happen. And there's no reason. That, nobody in the world thinks that this team at this point on January 5th is capable of winning a Stanley cup this year. So for the sake of this season, you'd keep a guy and then, and then he'd walk at the end of the year. Like nobody would think that's a good idea. Like the Camilleri situation we've talked about a million times where on principle, Brian Burke said, Nope, I, nobody met my offer. Nobody met my ask. So I'm going to just eat it. This is different. These are major chips and this is a major point in the uh, in the history of the flames that the, we've talked about it. it's a unique situation that they have to cash in on um again I'm, I'm sitting here telling you i don't think they have to cash in on all four of those guys including vladar i think three of them though are no-brainers yeah. absolute no-brainers uh let's uh let's let's dive in on the vladar as uh, we continue along on the eric francis hour uh it's eric francis of sportsnet and sportsnet.ca pat steinberg along with you and yeah this hour of flames talk on a friday is the eric francis hour brought to you by horse racing alberta the alberta horse racing and breeding industry cares for their horses employs albertans and contributes to the economy visit the horses.com 18 plus please play responsibly Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Eric Francis Hour continues on this Friday with Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. It's Pat Steinberg. 
Just spent a ton of time talking Noah Hannafin and the merits of potentially extending the Flames defenseman. You uh, you brought up Vladar there. And let's dive in because we, we talk about the three, right? We talk about Hannafin and Tanev on the blue line. We talk about Lindholm up front. But for you, it's four. And even though he's not a pending UFA, Vladar for you, who got the start Thursday in Nashville, uh, Vladar for you is uh, is is kind of the the fourth member of uh, of the four horsemen. Hey, like he's uh, he's really important in this conversation. Well, and I'm not trying to. Hey, I, he's one of my favorite people in that locker room, and I'm certainly not pushing him out of town. And I think he's a valuable piece to this team. Like any backup who's competent uh, at a low price, like he is. Um, I think is is very valuable in today's NHL. And I do think there are teams that could use a guy like Vladar. I, I don't know what, you know, it was a, about a month and a half ago, I remember saying that that's going to be a hard contract to trade just because his numbers were, were not good. Um, but I think his last five, six starts, you know, his numbers are still not blowing anybody away. But I, I think his last five, six starts, and he even said the same thing to me when I was talking to him the other day. He said, like, even the game he got pulled against Minnesota, he thought he was playing really, really well. And he told the coaches that, and they agreed with him, but they just needed to switch things up. Anyway, I I think that if you're going to make significant changes with two or three big names and clearly go younger instantly, whether you're in a playoff race or not, which I think they will be, uh, I think you you also need to, to make the move with the goalie then too, and give Wolf that chance mm-hmm. that everybody knows he deserves and, and and you know I guess I wouldn't think it's a horrific mistake if they go the end of the year and then trade Ladar in the off season or like I said earlier maybe they start to talk about the possibility of trading Jacob Markstrom maybe Markstrom doesn't like what he's seeing and he decides. Listen, I would like to go somewhere else. Can you make that happen? Then it's then it's you know I can I can see that argument that you want to give yourself the flexibility to either trade Markstrom or Vladar next summer. But by next summer, I don't think anybody would debate when I say starting next season, Dustin Wolf needs to be an opening night goaltender for the Calgary Flames. Maybe not the starter, but a starter or a backup. He's got to be on the roster. Yeah, right. He's got to be an opening night guy. So. So whether you do it by this trade deadline, if the marketplace is out there, sure. They acquired him for a third rounder. And I don't know if you're going to get a third rounder for full Vodar right now, given his numbers. Um, the, there is a, a huge demand for goalies in uh, amongst contenders, but I'm not sure people can sell that Vladar is an upgrade, if you know what I mean. So uh, if you can't get much more than a, a fourth rounder, then I think you do wait until the summer and make that move when you have 31 other teams to deal with. I don't know how do you how do you see the timing because it's 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 one of the biggest issues in this organization is when are we finally going to unleash Dustin Wolf? And and I'm not saying there's any hurry to do it, but the timing is interesting, and I think it all relates to just how much they can get for Vladar on the open market between now and March 8th. Yeah, and and you know it's it's interesting you bring that up because it's something that 
Uh, Wes and I have have debated, or, or Wes and I did debate. We're we're on the same page with it, and I I, I um, was the, Wes the guy who was on earlier? Yeah, have I, you heard I, him I before? I, I don't recognize. I, there's just no credibility in what he has to say, so I wasn't sure oh, who it was. You're really gonna hate this because he I, he even begrudgingly got me to agree and come over to his side. So that just looks really bad on me. Oh wow, that's <laughs> too bad. <laughs> That's too bad. Anyway, uh, go ahead. I heard him take a shot at me before the show started. So I know it was funny. Thought, I, thought I'd respond. Uh, and, and well played on your part. Um, he, uh, he, he since training camp, his feel has been: you have got to open a spot for Dustin Wolf now, and you have to be okay with maybe not getting the exact return that you want. And I hope I'm not misrepresenting, but basically, he was like. Yeah, if, if you have to not get as high a return for Dan Vladar to do it, it's worth it because the value of opening up that spot for Dustin is 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 just that important. So I, I, I'd be curious as to where you are. Like between now and March 8th, if you can't recoup a third-round pick, if you only get a, a much lower pick or or the offers are only like you're choosing between fifth-round picks and things like that, is the value of opening up that spot and getting Dustin Wolf in full time enough for you to be okay with maybe not hitting a home run on the Vladar return? No, no, it's not. But the the one because uh, I don't think there's a rush this year. I, I certainly I think there's merit in giving Wolf you know a half season to kind of get acclimated and and really you know know that he's a everyday NHLer. I know that he already knows that he's got the confidence to prove that. But I think the value, if you were to go that route and trade Vladar for less than what you paid for him, which I think is would have to be the case myself, um, the value there would be the fact that he makes $2.6 million this year. And that's a, I'm not saying that's, that's a significant amount for a backup. You know, there are a lot of teams that have a backup making the league minimum. And, uh, you know, I still think it's good value uh, at 2.6. But given how tight everyone is to the cap, uh, if you were to free up that sort of money, uh, that would allow you to maybe take on some more salary in other trades. So again, it's like a big puzzle, right? If 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 other trades are out there and teams are like, no, we need you to take on this salary, and the Flames are like, well, we we just can't take on that salary. Well, maybe you trade Vladar then for a fifth rounder or a fourth rounder, and but you insist that they take on whoever it is takes on their salary if that's even possible. I, it's it's tough. I. I I don't see I just don't see them getting tremendous value for Vladar at all right now. Again, if things can change a lot in the next two months. If he goes on a run right now and wins six of his next seven starts, and this is also part of why I think they started him last night. Uh, uh, I, I, I do think they want this guy to get more starts. They love having arrested Markstrom, yep. but they also love showcasing Vladar. And I know they're not scared to start Vladar. That's been proven with this organization all year long. And I think even back last year to a lesser extent with Sutter, uh, I don't think this organization is scared of starting Dan Vladar. So uh, I think you're going to see him a little more than you normally would for two reasons, to rest Markstrom and to get him a little more of a showcase to hopefully open eyes to people that, you know what, this guy really is a competent backup and maybe even a starter in, a, in an emergency. The uh, Flames playing some pretty good hockey right now. I mean, I, I know yeah. there's a lot hanging over them. 
and I know that there's going to be some changes here, but they have worked themselves finally back above 500. They have ensured that they have not fallen out of this playoff race when a couple of weeks ago it looked like they were teetering. You're like, geez, if they, if they don't put a little bit of a swing here, they may fall out of it and, and may not be able to get back into it. Well, they have, and I give them a lot of credit, man. They're, they're a point back. Um, actually, they're two points back because Seattle's moved into a playoff spot, so they're actually two back of a playoff spot, but they're right there. They're uh, in a mix with Minnesota and St. Louis and Edmonton and Arizona and Seattle and Nashville, and I don't know. I, you, you've said this a few times, and I'm kind of with you, especially with this roster. I don't think they're falling out of it. Like I don't think that this roster before changes is all of a sudden going to be a team that you're like, oh, lottery pick. You know, where are they going to be in the top? I don't see them getting a top five pick with this roster. And I'm not even sure. And and this is where I, I, I think that you've been for the last little while. I'm not even sure that if they make a Lindholm trade and they make a Tanev trade that they're going to fall so far out of it either. No, no, I don't think so. I think there's a depth there. There's a structure there. There's a work ethic more than anything else. There's a work ethic uh, that keeps them in all sorts of games. And I, I think this team's going to be in this playoff hunt right to the end. Lindholm trade, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. I'll just say that, yeah, that's going to affect your team. But I think it's next man up mentality. Um, and obviously they're going to get some bodies back in return for these these guys when they ship them out. They'll be younger uh, but they'll be hungry, theoretically. And the rest of this roster, though, is just going to look at each other and go, look, guys, people have been counting us out, and especially now they're going to count us out. Let's just keep playing with the same structure and work ethic, and we still, you know, theoretically, I still think they're going to have a solid blue line. Um, they'll have the goaltending. I think this team is going to stay right in the playoff hunt. Again, I'm not suggesting they can do – I think it's too early to wonder if they could do any damage in the playoffs. So that A lot of that has to do with – momentum it has to do with injuries it has to do with the ranking it has to do mm-hmm. with their opponent but i i wouldn't be shocked if this team made the playoffs this year and i know big picture that's not the important thing and most fans really want that hammered home uh with with management look we don't care about this year so much as look big picture and let's get younger and continue to get continue to stock the coffers but uh you know when they do restock the coffers man i still think there's a solid base on which this team is going to retool. And uh, and again, I'll say it one last time. Uh, they're never going to burn this thing down. It's not happening. And so the retool is the, is the best thing that Flames fans can hope for, the ones who really want to affect significant change. And I think this team can still be competitive with the retool in place. So, you know, I, I stand to be corrected, but surely if you're a Flames fan and, you don't, you know, regardless of where they're going, you've got to be proud of, the way they've played this year. Mm-hmm. Hardly ever do they mail it in and hardly ever are they embarrassed. Like it's a team to be proud of. I really, I really believe that people in this city should be proud of this team for, um, for, for doing what they've done, especially given where they were seven, eight games into this season, yep. it could have easily tanked. And I, I liked Wes's article today uh, talking about Huska. Cause I remember having a, a breakfast with the, uh, with Wes and you, I believe we're, were, were we all there in Edmonton when we were talking about, my God, like here we are this early in the season. And that was the, what, that was the breakfast I missed. And then you, me and Vicks went the next day to the same spot. 
Yeah, yeah. So the the more enjoyable breakfast was the one you missed. So uh, that <laughs> was course. the one where we discussed, <laughs> like, wow, Huska must just look at this and go, oh my god, what have I got into? But he he pulled it out of the he's helped pull it out and uh, pull it out of the fire and and look what the, look what they've become. It's 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 pretty impressive. Wherever they go from here, it's pretty impressive. And the, the last point, somebody uh, somebody texted in earlier this week, and it just it, it got my mind thinking, like. Uh, and, and it's funny because UC Saros was so bad against the Flames on third. Like that, like that was a guy who was a Vesna Trophy finalist last year, uh, or or has been in the past. Anyway, I digress. But somebody texted in and said, Jacob Markstrom, the way he's playing, is gonna play the Flames out of getting a good draft pick. And I said, you know what? He might. And the reason I said that is because Again, we talk about what Nashville did last year, right? Nashville traded Janot, they traded Ekholm, they traded Nita Ryder, they traded Granlin, they traded away a bunch of guys and got younger and got worse on paper, and they stayed in it, and they were in the fight right till game 82. But the biggest reason why is because UC Saros was a 925 goalie from like February 1st on, and he kept them in that playoff race. Well, the way Markstrom's playing right now, the if Flames were to do a similar thing, Jacob's playing at such a high level, especially since the finger injury, could absolutely see him almost single-handedly keeping him in the race. And the final thing I'll say about that then is, again, to remind people, the idea is not to burn this thing down. The idea on this thing is not to tank and, and, and to miss the playoffs miserably. The idea is only to get younger. That's the, that's the only goal that management has in mind. It's not to do anything else other than to get younger. It's not to take step backwards it's to continue progressing while also getting younger. And I know people have said, well, they've tried to do that for the last 30 years and it's not worked. Um, I think this is a little different. I just think that the, the, the base you have in place, you can do both at the same time. Have a good weekend, pal. We will uh, see you next week at the Dome. You too, my man. Enjoy your afternoon games this weekend. It's different. I shall. <laughs> I, uh, an evening on a weekend free. I'll Our- take it, hey. Are, are you even going to sleep? I, a guy like you, a night owl like you, I figure you just stay up. Uh, 10 a, I, at 10 a.m. start, I can handle that. You can do that? Yeah. You know, okay. I think the, the earliest I've ever done is a, uh, a 10 a.m. game, and it was a 9 a.m. start. That's, uh, that's a little early, but I can, I can even deal with that. I'll be listening. Uh, bye, buddy. Thanks, bud. Have a uh, great weekend. He's Eric Francis on Twitter at Eric Francis. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk, which has been the Eric Francis Hour, and it's brought to you, as always, by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly.